So we'll have a short dialogue on um, on kind of maybe a bit to recap what we've been discussing here today, um, but also uh, to kind of go back to the beginnings of HEONI. So uh, as, as I said in the beginning, and as the minister also mentioned, we're here to celebrate the 40th anniversary of HEONI. Uh, and HEONI was established by Professor Ingeri Antila, uh, who, for those of you who do not know who she was, was a frontrunner in the development of what, what, what we today call rational and humane criminal justice. She was also the first female professor of criminal law at the University of Helsinki. Um, she was also a minister of justice, the first female minister of justice. She was very influential in developing kind of the, the basis of of our criminal justice system in many respects, uh, especially when it comes to imprisonment. Um, so at HEONI today, uh, we try to uphold her legacy in our focus areas and in our work. Um, but if we think about the world today uh, compared to 40 years ago, of course, there were many challenges. Uh, the world was very divided. There were uh, global threats then as well. Uh, but if we look at the world today, I would say or argue that, that we're challenged by many difficult and complex and even wicked problems that really require comprehensive and strategic solutions. But then at the same time, we also see an increasing kind of um, tendency towards uh, populism and even perhaps kind of short-sighted um, you know, solutions that you can implement over a political term, which is usually quite short. Um, so how do you see that we could and perhaps should honor Inkeri's legacy and the idea of rationality and humanity in criminal justice in today's world, uh, where kind of these complex problems often are addressed or strive to be addressed in very short time spans? Okay, so and thanks for the invitation. Great to, great to be here. And I think it's really worth a little bit thinking, like, you know, basically, you know, what Inkeri Antila would say today, like, you know, if she would be here with us, and maybe I think she is. I think first to begin with is that I think that she would most likely be very happy to see all that and to hear how Heuni has sort of updated its mission. If I can recall back a little bit the history of Inkeria, if we have a few minutes. So. Yeah, uh, because like you know, Inkeri was the person he, uh, in the 1950s, because she didn't get a position at the law faculty yet, it was not that easy for a woman to, to, to get a, a, a chair. So she was working in the prison administration as an educator, researcher, etc. And I think it was in these prison studies that she, she sort of, it was the prison people who were the liberals, who were the sort of visionary, and they, and, and also the prison, you know, things, they were the ones that the United Nations started in the 50s and 60s. So basically, I would say that there was a human-centered approach, like generally, you could say, also in the UN circles in those days when she got involved. And then she learned a lot of the criminology backgrounds like, you know, with the interaction with the Nordic colleagues. So basically then this rational and humane criminal policy became to be known as the sort of Nordic approach. And it's very, very crucial that, you know, it, it was something different from this sort of strike hard type of, you know, war on, war on crime type of approach, which then a bit later from 70s onwards well, most notably in US, but a little bit elsewhere as well, started 
throwing space. So basically, I would, I would really, I, I was so actually impressed about the opening speech by Katja Franco because I mean, this is really the sort of, I would say a human-centered criminal justice view that was the, the vision and the dream of Inkariantila. So that it's not so much the sort of the, I would say a state-centered security orientation which should be dominating. And now if we, if we look back, so I think that we have, there's been quite a lot of this state-centered criminal policy thinking in the last decades, like we have seen it in the United Nations with this very strong emphasis on, on, on you know, organized crime, terrorism, etc. But we've seen it very strongly also in the European Union. Yeah. Like you know, in the during the period, so-called Amsterdam period, like from 2000 to 2010, approximately when the when the sort of uh, criminal law collaboration body, the entire system was created in the European Union. Also there, you could see that it, there was a little bit like there was a lot of political pressure to solve issues, etc. And now. Actually, we see that it's it's being a little bit slower now, and it's the tensions are 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 are, are like different now. We have the Charter of Fundamental Rights available. When the criminal justice response was being, or criminal policies were being created, like there was no, let's say, uh, human-centered limits actually to that. It was very sort of state-driven process. And actually what we see in the United Nations today, I think with this sustainability approach that is in the agenda 2030, which is need the Kyoto Protocol, etc., it's bringing back now the human. So I think we have both now, we have the hard legal approach, we have the interstate collaboration, but then also I think there's increasingly also the understanding that we need to bring things back to the level of individuals. We need to see the victims. We need to also see the interests of the perpetrators. We need to, we need to have a sort of a moderate, pragmatic, realist uh, uh, view. Yeah, that's, thanks. That was actually what I was going to kind of um, follow up upon. Uh, you mentioned the UN, you mentioned the EU, um, kind of multi-agency, multilateral bodies. Um, and as you rightly said, they've been crucial in kind of setting international legal norms and other norms. Um, and, and one could even raise the question of, of trafficking in persons, which has been touched upon today as a kind of success story in this regard, uh, because the UN and its Convention on Transnational Organized Crime and the Protocol on Trafficking uh, has been ratified almost worldwide, uh, has provided a very strong kind of normative framework that most countries follow on this very topic, and, and Finland as well. Um, so as you mentioned, um, there's been a lot of focus on, on treaties, uh, or, or recently, uh, or not, maybe not recently, but, but for, for a long time, there's been a focus on serious crimes such as drugs, organized crime, corruption, and now these discussions on cybercrime and a treaty on that topic. Um, so as you just said, that you see that there should also be a focus on strengthening these kind of soft, softer issues, uh, human-centered, um, humane topics. Um, 
And you also, I think, in, in one of our discussions that we previously had, you raised the idea that empirically and criminologically informed thinking in line with Inkeri Antila's vision um, would perhaps be the way of bringing those topics onto the agenda. But then again, I think we see this as being quite difficult because these kind of hardcore topics have in a way hijacked the agenda. So how do we actually change this? How do we bring these topics you know, onto our agenda? I think that's quite a challenge. Well, I think Helen is, is doing a good jo job in there and it's, it's like, you know, it's really living up to that ideal. But the thing is, of course, that I think when we go global, or if we look at the more generally, like in the, in the spirit of the agenda 2030, we, we're seeing that, you know, in different countries, different parts of the world, you know, the challenges are very different. We have, we have states which are lacking sort of the capacity. We have, the, you know, this Inkeriantilas issue of prison conditions, like, you know, it's in, in most parts of the world, prisons are, are terrible still. So there's, you know, and it could be because of the lack of capacity of the state. And then we have states, maybe it's not so much a lack of capacity, but it's the way the capacity is being used. And maybe it's even be, it's not in the, maybe uh, serving the interest of the civil society or the, or the, you know, people of that state. So kind of, I think, I think there's so, there's many, many, uh, sort of ways to, to do better. I think we probably, you know, as you were raising the issue that we need to have knowledge first. So we need to maybe build a, you know, whatever it can be, university capacities or, or, or educational research capacities of, of those countries. But then, of course, UN with its different bodies, it's doing precisely that. It's trying to, you know, collect data and, and follow up the things. But, the, but, the, but really the crucial thing is that if there's a deficit of, you know, uh, capacity and funding for such things, you know, they, they, the inequalities of security as was framed by the first speaker, like, you know, they will certainly re re um, remain. But I would like, I, somehow I think uh, that what's the situation in which we are now is that we start seeing that, you know, we cannot just take one issue, like, you know, separately. We need to see the linkages. We need to we need to strengthen the, the the rule of law. We need to, for instance, anti-corruption is a topic. You know, corruption is is harming, is harmful in all areas of operation. It's and it, it's both the private sector and public sector actually. So, and um, and then uh, so so kind of that we need to we need to uh, empower the civil societies to you know to speak out and to to uh to like you know actually frame their needs they do have there i think you know this limiting like violence in different forms is of course a, a first priority but then come so many others so i think that this sort of rule of law uh ideals promoting the independence of courts etc it's super important if you want to 
have a good quality of, of criminal justice. But then, of course, really like, you know, this, like, you know, uh, protection of human rights and, and then this sort of like some kind of a democratic scrutiny of your, what the government is, is doing out there. But so it's a multi, I think personally that, that this sort of sustainability idea actually requires really a kind of a very broad uh, palette and, and uh, so you cannot just simply inject like, you know, a medicine somewhere, but you need to, you need to create a sort of a good, good circle that you can slowly uh, develop simply the conditions that needs to come down to the life of the individual people. Yeah, I wanted to follow up on that because um, you're also uh, the chair of the board of the recently established Rule of Law Center, right? At the University well, not the chair, not but chair, member. Well, a member of the board of the recently established Rule of Law Center at the University of Helsinki, which is kind of seeking to, in a way, I don't know, maybe I'm simplifying, but kind of export Finnish rule of law and anti-corruption uh, knowledge uh, to developing countries. And I think it kind of taps into what you just said, that it's, it's very difficult to just kind of export one aspect of this, because it's basically also a way of, you know, a kind of societal and culturally uh, grounded um, idea of how a society can be as um, democratic, as rule of law abiding and as, as anti-corrupt as possible. So how do you see that 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 should be done and do you specifically see a role for Heone? Because something we've been discussing is whether we should also expand our work beyond Europe. Our mandate covers Europe, but it actually also is, is more flexible in providing our opportunity to work also elsewhere. Well, first to begin with, so I'm, I would not talk about export or exportation. Yeah, exp yeah, because, you know, the, really the thing is that what I've learned in this short period of time that we have been operative, like, for instance, we have a project in Albania, we're trying to uh, increase transparency of, of um, political funding in order to make sure that the organized crime would not have a great impact and say in politics and this is something which is it's a wicked problem and uh, the thing is that of course we you know it's not about export or import but you know we need to we've been there you know we've been consulting the key actors and we're trying to share our experiences and our knowledge and we have sent one high top level expert there also, and we're getting now some, you know, there's also other actors, actors, Council of Europe, et cetera, that they are, are, are doing that. So we're trying to build solutions to, to, uh, to, to address a certain wicked, wicked issue. Uh, and so there's, I think, you know, we just, we need to learn how to respond to the demands that the different countries are having we're also a small small actor in there. And, but I think that really, if, if we go back to what Heuni is doing, I think really that we probably, we, we, I think one thing is that we need to start seeing the entire global context. Like, you know, that when we, when we talk about trafficking issues, whether it's drugs or, or human beings or what, whatever, that there's a, there's a global setting. There's a global setting and we need to understand a little bit the different like uh, perspectives you know, that the source countries are having that, uh, you know, what are the roots, etc. How can we maybe 
maybe do something already, you know, in the source country circumstances. We, I think we need to, we have been a little bit selfish in like, you know, defining the problems locally. And certainly it's great that we are addressing the things now, you know, in, the, in our first, in our local context. But I think we need to bring it somehow out. I think, for instance, the, uh, in this sort of Nixon, started the war on drugs, but it was, it was not because, you know, he was interested in what happens in Latin America or so, but he was simply the drugs issue in U.S. was, that's what the thing. But now I think what the U.N. should be doing and that what we all should be doing, we should be seeing a little bit the broader global, like, chains and contexts. And we would like to think in terms of crime prevention and these sort of things, in, you know, in the, you know, uh, you need to be clever to find ways to, uh, to, to address them on different uh, levels. And therefore, I think that, for instance, this, this UN Sustainable Development Goals, this Agenda 2030, it's, it's amazingly interesting because it is for the first time, you know, you start framing issues of uh, wicked problems like, you know, in the in a really global setting and where also the developing countries and their experts had been invited to, to feed into the process so that it's not just like I would say us sort of the end market, you know, defining the, the issue. Thanks. Um, yeah, this brought me to this current discussion that's going on at the, or is ongoing at, at the COP27 in, in Egypt uh, on climate change and what we kind of should be doing. I mean, if that if something is a global, uh, universal, even kind of, so, you know, a threat towards our, our existence. Um, so do we have a kind of a, a possibility of, of uh, finding common ground and perhaps moving towards more binding kind of agreements on what we actually should be doing? Um, I was thinking also about the sustainability question that was discussed previously that, that companies are actually also calling for kind of binding uh, regulation because voluntary measures are not enough. So we see this in kind of many respects that when you have binding agreements internationally, they're very difficult to, to agree upon. I completely understand that, but we're kind of in a position where we would also need to move into those kind of softer areas and to find some form of, of even perhaps regulation in that sense. Um, so do you see kind of, a, a, you know, are we moving in that direction? How would you, just to go back to what we discussed first, how to kind of really get those kind of softer topics that you also mentioned, uh, the people-centered uh, criminal justice on the agenda? I recognize there's a lot of questions in one question, but if yeah. you answer one of them. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's also super, super difficult one. Um, because, you know, I've been writing some a little bit also about environmental crimes and the control of in that field. And, you know, the problem is that, you know, most of the pollution is legal. So that framing, framing the pollution as a crime problem a little bit misses the point. And so, so sort of, uh, I think we would first have to define a little bit that what's the role of criminal justice and criminalization in that field. And, and the more we go to this sort of really 
issues like climate change, like, you know, I think, you know, it's very difficult to, to bring it back to, to a problem of, of crime. So I think that in some sense, the role of criminal justice starts getting smaller and we should avoid just blaming a few criminals for what we see, but it's a systemic and structural issue. But on the other hand, I think that, you know, there is a, there could be uh, a lot of new energies and, and powers like coming out from the determination that there's issues, social issues we need to address. So I think that a, a lot of, I, I'm not quite sure about the companies, I think that also this sort of awareness, growing awareness, you know, what people want of companies, I think it's already leading to changes in, you know, the way companies operate. And it's probably, it could be maybe supported by some like maybe softer legal instruments, but I think it's happening. We just need to, to um, we need to uh, sort of support that kind of development. Uh, but then of course, the, the one thing is that we, we will be having also the, the challenges of organized crime, the sort of really criminal ways of exploitation, you know, the, the new uh, phenomena that are being caused by climate change, for instance, you know, massive flows of people uh, around regions, like, you know, this is something, it's also a, a sort of crime-causing factor, and it's a, it's a factor which, which, like, you know, also needs, will need, need responses. But I think it's a dual stuff that, you know, the, some of the issues are criminal issues and they need to be addressed as such the criminal organizations, they need to be, you know, hit in their economic logics. Uh, but then I would say much of the things, they, we would have to be clever and, and see, you know, how we can deal with those issues and using the energies of the societies. And then uh, so that this sort of, I would say this kind of a devel developmental agenda is there as a background thing always, it's simply education, uh, like, you know, even economic development, because, you know, extreme poverty, for instance, is so that it's sort of, uh, it's not allowing for you to address the issues seriously. Thanks, Kimo. Um, we're about to run out of time, so I won't ask any more questions, but I think you kind of here in the end really raised kind of the complexity of what we also at Heoni are dealing with. Many of the questions that we worked with at Heoni, for instance, this topic of labor exploitation is indeed kind of very much also a structural question. It is partly also a crime question, but it's also kind of a societal and structural question and also touches upon migration, uh, migration control, um, you know, broader questions. Um, so I don't really have kind of a, a very clever concluding point, but to thank you for your insights uh, and we'll continue cooperating uh, and discussing these issues. Um, I will close this part and then perhaps open up for questions uh, to all the panelists in the different sections. Thank you. Kiitos, thank you.